Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Intelligence Matters ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the app today. This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you could have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. If you're shopping while working, eating, or even listening to this podcast, then you know and love the thrill of the hunt. But are you getting the thrill of the best deals? Rakuten shoppers do. They get the brands they love with the most savings and cash back. And you can get it too. Start getting cash back at your favorite stores like Urban Outfitters, Fenty Beauty, and Expedia. And even stack sales on top of cash back. It's easy to use and you get your cash back through PayPal or check. The idea is simple. Stores pay Rakuten for sending them shoppers. And Rakuten shares the money with you as cash back. Download the free Rakuten app and never miss a deal. Or go to Rakuten.com to start getting the most bang for your buck. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. This is the Intelligence Matters Podcast with former acting director of the CIA, Michael Morell, sponsored by Raytheon. The high friction points of the administration have been with intelligence, law enforcement, the courts, science, scholarship, and journalism. What do they have in common? They're all evidence-based. Right, they search, search for the truth. They search for the truth. If, if Gina Haspel is not the next director of CIA, I'm greatly concerned as to who might be. I mean, what I've said publicly about this is judge Gina, not the man who That's nominated right. her. That's right. If you want someone, Mike Hayden and Michael Morell are competent, will say no to the man who nominated her? It's Gina Haspel. Mike Hayden is one of our nation's leading national security experts. He was the director of the National Security Agency, the director of the CIA, and the principal deputy director of national intelligence. He is widely known as someone who brings unique insights to complex issues. He is the author of Playing to the Edge, American Intelligence in the Age of Terror, and he has just published a new book, The Assault on Intelligence, American National Security in the Age of Lies. He recently sat down with me to talk about his new book and much more. This is Intelligence Matters, and I'm Michael Morrell. Outside the box, above the earth, beyond our wildest dreams, Raytheon engineers are shaping tomorrow's world from space. Raytheon, delivering trusted, innovative solutions to make the world a safer place. Mike, um, Intelligence Matters has been on a hiatus for a couple of months as we moved it to CBS News from the Cypher Brief, where it got a great start and which is a terrific online publication on national security. I think it's one of the best out there. And as we return for what my son calls season two (laughs) of Intelligence Matters, I can't think of another person that I would rather have sitting here and to be on the show than you. Well, so so, so thank thank you. you. That's very kind. Thank you. Happy to be here. So let's, Mike, start with your new book, which debuted yesterday, The Assault on Intelligence, American National Security in the Age of Lies. It's a terrific book. And if our listeners care about the direction of our national security and of our democracy, which I know they do, they're going to go out and they're going to read this book. 
You write in the book that the traditions and institutions that protect us from the Hobbesian world of a nasty, brutish, and short existence are inherently fragile, and they demand careful tending that in an America today, they are under serious challenge. Yeah. That's quite a statement. Yeah, and it, it's, it's, it's front end of the book, as you suggest. And I tie it, Michael, to my life experience in Bosnia during the war there and walking around Sarajevo during the war. I mean, Serb artillery in the hills, the destruction below, people trying to survive. And, you know, you wonder what manner of man pulls the lanyard on artillery to fire at his neighbors, shoots at unfortunates trying to line up for water at the old brewery and so on. And you, you walk around, and the first thing that strikes you is this is a this was a beautiful city, hmm. and it was clearly vibrant. I, I write in the book at minarets and onion shaped domes and steeples, and and now you saw destruction. And what's what what hit me at the time, and I obviously I still remember because I wrote it, is not that how much Sarajevo or Sarajevans were different from us, but how much they weren't. And it had been a vibrant, tolerant, exciting, successful city. The Olympics had been there 10 years earlier. And that struck me. And the longer, look, you've had the same experience. We don't, we don't go to happy places very often in our business. We go to pe- places under stress. I mean, you're, you're describing also Venezuela and Zimbabwe, right. yeah. a lot of places where this has happened. And, 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 and so I, I've just concluded that, you know, the, 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 the liberties under which we, we live, the structures that, that guarantee these essential processes, they're not a given. They can erode. And, and I see the, the very foundations of, our, of those institutions inside America uh, under threat in a way I've not seen them in my lifetime. And then the next line of the book, Michael, is, and it all has to do with truth. And now living in what the Oxford Dictionary calls a post-truth world. What what is that? What is the post-truth yeah, so, world, so and the, why is it such a threat? Yeah. So the so the definition out of the Oxford Dictionary is a world in which decision making is based upon feeling and preference rather than data. All right, and that should be a threat to everyone. But I view it to be a peculiar threat to the American Republic, because who we are is defined by our creed. We, we, we are a creedal nation. We are not a nation of blood, soil, and shared history. Other countries are, and that's who they are, but that's not us. I mean, the, the shorthand version is, how do you get to be an American? Read the document, understand the document, say you believe in the document, swear to the document, you're in. Mayflower, yes. Mayflower, no. doesn't matter. You're in. We are a creedal people. And the creed that was created back in the 18th century is based on the core enlightenment values which themselves are based upon a respect for truth, a humility in the face of complexity, a search for evidence, a testing of hypotheses leading to a more perfect understanding of truth. I mean, if you read the Federalist Papers, it's imbued with these enlightenment ideals. And, And now I fear these enlightenment ideals are being undermined by American nativism, tribalism, and, and, and frankly, the coarseness of what passes for political dialogue now. So Americans have, have long denied the existence of facts from everything from vaccines to sure. climate change. And I'm wondering what, what makes this moment different from yeah, 
So we, everything that's come before. Right. And I even mentioned in the book, we've had the Know Nothing Party back in the 19th century. You know, uh, we, we've had our, our own movements. But, but I don't know that I've ever seen it so generalized. I've, I've never here, – here's a way of putting it. Uh, right now, Michael, and look, you're, you're on air. I'm on air. We, we actually try to be fact witnesses, right, not be partisans. Mm-hmm. And, and yet we see so many folks even on air, even claiming or being accorded, afforded the, the attribute expert actually basing their positions on what I would call tribal beliefs, a priori assumptions about the way things work rather than allowing the data to present itself and, and go forward. So it's more widespread than it ever has been before. Uh, now, now, another way of describing this, and this is what makes this so complex, and I try to fairly, and I really do, the book tries not to be, tries to be judging without being judgmental, if, mm-hmm. if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. And another way of uh, describing this is, is that rather than, well, it's, it's, it's frankly the dismissal of experts and expertise. Now, the usual way of saying that is elites, all right? But, but, but it, is, it is about distrust of experts and, and expertise. And people are more now inclined to go with their tribe, to go with their a priori assumptions and then they are to follow the guidance of experts. Now, now, they may, now that may be the fault of experts and how they may or may not have been indifferent to, to other people. I get that. But it's not a formula for success. So why has that happened? So I think, I, I think it's, as you suggest, it's, it's always latent. I mean, you and I can probably think of examples where we went non-fact-based mm-hmm. in, in, in just how we felt about what football team we cheered for, what that referee's call looked like mm-hmm. on on, on Sunday. But it's more widespread now, I think, Michael, because of uh, the advent of modern technology. And now we've got this tsunami of information coming at us. We've got this distrust of experts, so we're not letting them curate yeah. the information for us. And, and, and unbalanced, that was more or less a positive thing that an expert could kind of tee things up for you. And now we've got the democratization of access to data with, frankly, A.C. Grayling, who's a philosopher I consulted in writing the book, says that social media is now the biggest washroom wall in history. Mm, mm. And, and, and I think there's a lot of yeah. truth to that. And, and so we get a whole bunch of unmediated, uncurated data coming at us and, and not be a, being accustomed to deal with it. We, we generally then stack it and catalog it based upon our a priori beliefs, our tribal yeah. beliefs. I, I, I quote David Brooks in the book, and you can probably tell this is about intelligence, but I've really tried to expand my point of view to see what's going on more broadly. And, and, and David frankly says that politics have in many ways replaced faith and family and tribe in terms of our core identity. Mm. We are now taking our core identity as to where we stand on the political spectrum. And so when I go out there and say, no, that's wrong, it's not an argument on facts anymore. I've challenged who you are. Mm. And that's a bad place Mm. for an enlightenment-based government to be. Now, you, in the book, talk a lot about President Trump and what role he has played in this. Is he a 
cause of the problem or a symptom of the yeah. problem he, or both? Yeah. So, and so I, you know, I, I try to be fair. All right. Both you and I are professionals. I'm a career military professional. I'm talking about the duly elected. And there's no question about that. The duly elected president of the United States. We know how to count. We know how the electoral college works. He's the president. And, and so I, I, I try not, not, not to be unfair. But, but I've got to present the case as I see it. And I actually literally say in, in the book quite early on uh, that he is riding the wave of this. He is exploiting it very often masterfully, but he is also deepening and worsening it by how he uh, addresses things. So to be, to be very candid, uh, Michael, I, I spend a little bit of time in the book talking about how the president defends policy positions. And with the one exception, and I give him full credit for this, of the speech about Afghanistan at Fort Myer, where he begins by saying... We could have written that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we could have signed up to it. <laughs> yeah. uh, he, he comes out and says, I generally follow my instincts, and my instincts are generally good. But, and then, my instinct was to leave, but, and then he talks about what you and I would call regular order. Mm-hmm. And he says, and now here's what I decided. That's been the exception. Generally... The president doesn't articulate the underlying principles that govern his policy. An example I cite in the book. Wouldn't you like to hear the sentence, Michael? My administration's relationship with the Russian Federation will be governed by the following three principles. Mm-hmm. Two. One. You don't get that. Mm-hmm. And, and unfortunately, what you get very often is the president, rather than defending a position, which from time to time may actually be quite defensible, what he does is he points to the other and, and tells the people who support him, those people over there, you can't trust them. Those people over there, they, they're, they're the ones causing your problems, all right? I'm with you, but they're not. They hate you. Then he elaborates on the other. The other could be immigrants. It could be refugees. It could be Mexicans. It could be NFL football players, all right? And it could the, be anyone who this follows This is the Islam. deepening of the problem that you and, and, and what that does is then, then – deepens the divisions in society as he exploits these uh, unfortunate instincts we now all have for transient political advantage. And then to bring it back to intelligence, you write in the book that you see this as a threat to the very profession that you and I spent our lives doing. So so there are a couple ways of looking at this, all right? One, One is that the president, for his own purposes, seems to be making war on the institutions that the success of the American experiment depend, a functioning Department of Justice, a functioning FBI, a functioning intelligence community. I, I could go on. And you've you got the president fairly routinely now condemning both the leadership and, and what you and I would call the core values of, of, of these institutions. And, and, and so uh, that's a very un- unfortunate circumstance. And, and so the, the, the core question I address in the book well, here, let me, let, me, let me come at it a slightly different way. The high friction points of the administration have been with intelligence, law enforcement, the courts, science, scholarship, and journalism. What do they have, what do they have in common? They're all evidence-based. Right, they search, now, search for the truth. They search for the truth. Now, Michael, you and I need to tell all your listeners right now, sometimes we don't get it. Right. Sometimes, sometimes, even in the search for the truth, we get it wrong. But the core is to search for the truth. I think there's a reason why those are the high friction points with the administration. Now, I can't defend journalism or science or scholarship, but I, back to your original question, try to defend the role of intelligence in helping the president, this president, 
be better than he would otherwise be to help this president succeed. And, and I, I, I broadly tell the story that we're about complexity. We're about context. All right. And Michael Gerson, whom we both know from the Bush administration, I think W's best speechwriter. Michael says that President Trump, the way God made him, right? President Trump lives in the eternal now. He doesn't really consider history. He doesn't seem to consider consequence. It's all the eternal now. And Michael, you and I and the guys we left behind are all about context, which is just the opposite of that. So now the challenge, and I talk about it as a challenge, how does intelligence, how, how do our old guys, how do they do their duty to this president? And that's what it is. How do they do their duty to this president under these circumstances? And I think it's hard. And stepping back to the bigger problem um, of the post-truth world that we live in, what do we do about it? Yeah. So, so I, I point out, and I don't, I don't throw these numbers in the book, but I'll, I'll just share them with you. Uh, 80% of this issue is us and our political culture. 20% on top, that's the Russians mm-hmm. who are taking advantage. I mean, you and I know something about covert influence, right? And I, I think one of the iron laws of physics for covert influence is you never create a fracture. Mm-hmm. You identify mm-hmm. and exploit a fracture. Mm-hmm. So that what the Russians are doing is bad, and I talk about it a lot and what we ought to do about it, but the core issue is not the Russians. The core issue is us. I mean, hell, the Russians are trying the same thing on the Norwegians. Mm-hmm. Not taken. Not working. <laughs> right. right. Fractures aren't there. Because they don't have these, these right. fundamental, fundamental fractures. So the first thing I, I think is, and I see you try to do this when you're on air, and I certainly try, is to try to drag the dialogue to the center. You know, just to, to not take the red meat that's thrown out and that's easily used to drive home the preferred point, but to simply say, you know, there's another way of looking at that. Or, or frankly, you know, on its face, I don't think that means quite what you think it means. And, and try to make people wonder a bit you know, about what's out yeah. there. Let's take a quick break to hear from our sponsor, Raytheon. And after that, we'll be back with more Intelligence Matters. In the next-gen controls of tomorrow's UAVs. In the high-tech guidance systems of tomorrow's weapons. In the supercomputers mounting tomorrow's cyber defense, Raytheon is there, driving innovation that helps the U.S. Army protect people, information, and infrastructure. Together, we're making the world a safer place. Let's switch gears to a different, but but I think perhaps related topic, which is Gina Haspel, the president's nominee to be the director of CIA. Because she has lived... A life in the shadows. There's much the public doesn't know about her. They don't know that she's served in some of the most dangerous places on the planet. They don't know that she's been shot at and she still has the bullet that was pulled (laughs) out of the tire of the car she was in when she was shot at. They don't know that she survived a coup d'etat. They don't know that she ran a station overseas that did some incredible work that led to the arrest and imprisonment of two terrorists linked to the 1990 East African embassy bombing. And they don't know that she um, has done some of the agency's best work against the Russians. Right. They don't know all of that. You've come out in very strong support of Gina's nomination. Why is she the right person for the job? Yeah. So lots of reasons. I'll go stream of consciousness on you because they're all important. You know, you and I are 
pre-taping this, Michael, as the NFL is drafting. And okay, my my team, the Steelers, always has one iron law: the best athlete available. Yeah, pick him. Yeah, and Gina is unarguably the best athlete available. In, in the draft. I won't I talk about my Browns. <laughs> yeah. hey, actually, you had a pretty good day on the first round. I think you did. But she is. I mean, look, we're, we're looking at one another. We're both experienced with the agency. You longer than I. I can't think of anyone else who's even close to her mm-hmm. that would bring the necessary credentials, respect, authenticity uh, to the job. And, and, and what I say to folks who, for one reason or another, want to oppose Gina, saying, be careful what you ask for. Who, who who might you get right. if you don't get this career professional? And, and so the point I make, and I'll, I'll get to some of the other things in a minute, but the point I make, Mike Hayden personally, given my concerns about how decisions are made, what we just talked about, yeah. given my thought that the president seems to be surrounding himself with people who more think and sound like him, all right, given those realities – I want Gina Haspel yeah. in that room. <laughs> in fact, that's what I wanted to ask you because what I found fascinating um, as I prepared for this is is I know you would have supported Gina irregardless of whether you had done the research for your book. But I had this sense as I prepared that your depth of feeling about Gina was related to this post-truth it, world. It, it is. And, and she's the person who's in there who, who's, who's got a track record, all right, of, of, of honesty – candor, courage, and, and, and then we have an environment in, in which, you know, and, you know, I'm not in the meetings, Michael, all right? But, but I get the sense that the, the, the president says things and, and too many people in the room go into what I used to call north-south autobob. Mm-hmm. You know, oh, yes, sir, yes, sir, that's right, boss. And, and, and Jane is the one person in the room who's going to say, can I give you another way of thinking about that, Mr. President? Mm-hmm. All right? And, and, and so... I, I think she is actually the perfect director for the agency at this point in time. She is the best representative on behalf of the American people of the best, most honest judgment that American intelligence can provide a president who does not instinctively go to the intel guys to frame his thinking. The opposition to Gina's nomination swirls around two related issues. Her alleged involvement in CIA's post-9-11 enhanced interrogation program, what some people call torture. Yep. Um, You and I don't. Some people do. And her involvement in the destruction of videotapes related to the program. I've learned in talking to people, Mike, of what Gina is saying to the senators as she goes around and does her meetings and what she is going to say during her her nomination hearing. Let me let me share sure. a little bit with the listeners and with you and get get your reaction. <clears throat> CIA learned difficult lessons after 9/11. Gina would never allow CIA to restart an interrogation and detention program. She will ensure that CIA always stays focused on its core mission of collection and analysis. And she will always uphold the core values of service, integrity, courage. She goes on to make the point that the government now has a clear legal framework that governs detentions and interrogations and that she supports those standards for detainees um, required by today's law, which, as you know, is the Army Field Manual. Right. Just get your reaction to that. Yeah. So if, if you're concerned about what the agency did, and you and I have had this discussion with a lot of folks around town, and I think you and I – we are comfortable. You know, we, we know that some mistakes were made. We, we brought those to the attention of folks. But at its core, we thought that the, that the program met all the requirements 
the agency had to have to do these kinds of things. Directed by the president, the director thought it was operationally relevant. The attorney general said it was okay. Congress, at least in the in the small leadership form, had been informed. And then we sent people out there whom we thought could handle this in the best way possible. And, and, and so Jin is part of this overall effort. You know, when she was selected to be deputy director, Michael, I, I, I wrote a piece saying what a brilliant choice for all the reasons we just discussed. And then I got to this question. And I said, Gina's choice was brilliant for another reason as well. It's an incredibly powerful message that the agency intended neither to repudiate nor repeat its past. And that's what Gina's selection as director is. Look, there is no way that an agency officer of Gina's character and experience will send CIA officers out there to do this again. Not because they're repudiating their past, not because they believe it was not successful. That's a separate argument. She won't do it because she won't put her officers at risk the way they were put at risk uh, when when the nation was made to feel a bit more safe after 9-11. So she now knows she has no right and will not ask her officers to do this. So if you're worried about the future, on this particular question, Gina Haspel's you your can't bet. pick a better you can't, you pick, can't a better, pick a better you person. You can't pick a better person. Yeah. What would you say, Mike, to those folks who say that somebody involved in what they believe to have been torture, by principle, should not lead the Central Intelligence Agency? So, so I, I broadly get the principle, okay. And in more normal times, with a left hander and a right hander warming up in the bullpen, I think that would be unjust and unfair. But I could probably live with it. But for the reasons you and I have already discussed, these are not normal times. The whole concept of truth is, is under challenge. Decision-making based upon things other than data seems to be gaining in prominence. The relevance of the intelligence community seems to be somewhat in question. And as we've already discussed, we don't have a left-hander and a right-hander out there of comparable quality to come in and do this job. So I, I get... Your, your, your broad principle that you know, occasionally good people have to suffer to make a broader principled point, but this is not that occasion. Right? If, if Gina Haspel is not the next director of CIA, I'm greatly concerned as to who might be. It's a tough question, I think. I'm wondering a bit if there's a double standard here. And what I mean by that is the Senate confirmed <clears throat> John Brennan, who was... Uh, the number four in the agency when the program was conceived and was approved in policy circles. And now they're they're challenging a foot soldier right. in that program. Yeah. And as you know, the Department of Defense had its own enhanced interrogation program post 9-11 approved by Secretary Rumsfeld. There's never at all a discussion I know. about that when it comes to confirming somebody for a senior job in the military and just right. getting get your reaction to that. Yeah. And, and so it's, it's an unfairness and, and certainly – our old agency, Michael, has been singled out, and, and some people want to make a point. I, I think there's unfairness involved in that, but I don't have to think that. Let's just assume everyone's got the highest motivation, and they, and they probably do, even if it might be unfair from our point of view. It's, it's not the way to succeed. Number one, it's, it's, it's terribly inconsistent, like, like you just said. And to pick someone out who was not in the decision-making change, who was told this was lawful, who was told by her director that this is essential, 
And we need somebody who's got a head on their shoulders to go do these kinds of things. Why would you, why would you try to punish, uh, try to punish that person? It just defies, it defies description. The, the second issue is the tapes destruction. They were destroyed before you were director, but this all came to light <clears throat> right. when you were director. Right. So this this this, this came at you full yeah. full speed. And, and so we looked at it. Actually, you looked at it. And uh, we decided to, after the courts were all done, so now, now even I'm gone. And, so and the first thing is a special prosecutor, special prosecutor looks at it. Go ahead and look at it. And he declines prosecution. And, all right, so we move forward. Now, now this is returned to the agency for resolution. We, we launch an accountability board that you were the head of. And, and your report is, is quite clear. You blame Jose Rodriguez. Uh, you issue a letter of rep- recommend a letter of rec- reprimand for him, but you you think Gina is acting in this play in in good faith, consistent with what she is believed to have been her guidance, and therefore no letter of reprimand is issued. Mike, CIA's position at this point is um, not to put out a lot uh, yeah. into the public domain about Gina and any role she might have had in the enhanced interrogation program, and they've taken quite a bit of heat from certain senators on that issue. What's the argument in your mind for restraint? What's the argument for putting more out there? And where would you come out? So just to be honest, Michael, I don't think there's any volume of information that could be put out there that makes some people say, oh, whoa, that's different (laughs) and, and move on. All right. And you know as well as I, I mean, I think both of us have an instinct towards more transparency than we have traditionally been associated with. But I think we both make the point, don't kid yourself. You know, when you put more and more information out there, you shave points off of effectiveness. And and, and so why, why would we want to do that to a degree that doesn't give you a greater good in return? I, I guess my way of putting this is if we want to use this woman's nomination to relitigate the past rather than make a judgment on her qualifications for the agency's future, we're making a serious process mistake. On balance, I I think the agency is leaning a bit more forward. They'll they'll obviously give the senators more information in closed session. But but again, if if we make this all about relitigating the agency's past, Rather than the qualifications of this person for the agency's future, I, 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 th- I think we're looking at the wrong thing. The other um, critique of the agency, Mike, is that it has become, as an institution, <clears throat> too much of a public advocate for the nomination. Yeah. What's your reaction to that? Yeah, and, but these are, these are uh, difficult times. And so we talked earlier about institutions under attack. And, and this, this raises a really important point, Michael, and I, and I talk about it in the book. So I've suggested that, um, you know, one of the unfortunate aspects of today's times is that the, the president, the president, actually, not just the White House, but the president seems to be attacking the institutions of his own executive branch. OK, FBI, DOJ, occasionally the IC, political hacks. Remember all this? A challenge we have is, you know, as I said, we've got to preserve these institutions for the future. It's just not about the individuals. It's the institutions. We're going to need them again. Right. All right. right. And a great challenge, Michael, is so how do these institutions defend themselves? 
against what I think unarguably is a norm-busting president, how do they defend themselves without busting their own norms? Okay? And, and, and that, frankly, is the backdrop right. to the question you just asked. Right. I don't think... It's not we, just institutions, it's people too, yeah, right? exactly. It's H.R. McMaster and the yeah. struggle he had. I, I, oh, I, and and the president's not just attacking institutions, he's attacking individuals. Right, right. And so now, how do these individuals defend themselves without breaking the faith of their own, uh, their own ethic of their profession, a military officer, a career intelligence professional, and so on? And I actually mentioned in the book, you know, that sometimes I, I think we have busted our own norms. I, you know, I don't think all the leakings come from the IC, but some of it has, mm-hmm. all right? And shame on us. We, we can't bust our own norms even in these extreme circumstances. So now you've got the agency in, in a way it never has done before coming out and putting more and more favorable information out about an agency nominee. I think, A, it reflects the, the unusual circumstances in which we find ourselves. I think the agency is looking upon Gina's successful confirmation. It's a bit about agency survival, mm-hmm. and I don't want to over-dramatize that, but I think that's that's true. And then let me just be perfectly candid, Michael. The White House hasn't been going out there saying many good things about Gina. And if the White House isn't supporting the nomination, other than, frankly, tossing it through the transom with a press release, it, it may fall on the agency to be more active than historically we've been comfortable with. Yeah. Well, I'm hoping now that Mike Pompeo has been confirmed as Secretary of State, the focus will turn to getting Gina confirmed. Right, and, and, that, and, that, and that the White House will do the yes. kinds of things we yes. expect a yes. White House to do yes. for yes. their... She is their nominee. Can I, can I add one, one more thing sure. here, too? You know, Gina wouldn't be facing as much whitewater if she had been nominated by Barack Obama. Right. All right? The, the, one of the overhangs here she has to deal with is that she's being nominated by an administration whose chief executive during the campaign said a whole bunch of things that you and I could never agree to when it came to what he was saying about what he called torture. And we did it because they deserve it. And we're going to go kill their families too. I mean, he has set the context in which some people are more rather than less suspicious of Gina. I mean, what I've said publicly about this is judge Gina, not the man who nominated her. That's right. And oh, by the way, if you want someone, Mike Hayden and Michael Morell are competent, will say no to the man who nominated her. It's Gina Haspel. The author is Mike Hayden. The book is The Assault on Intelligence, American National Security in the Age of Lies. Mike, it's been great to have you. Thank you, Michael. Thank you very much. That was Mike Hayden. I'm Michael Morell, and this was Intelligence Matters. Please join us next time when Raytheon brings us another episode. This has been the Intelligence Matters podcast with former acting director of the CIA, Michael Morell, sponsored by Raytheon. The podcast is produced by Olivia Gassis and Jamie Benson. If you haven't already, subscribe, rate, and review wherever you download podcasts. You can follow the show on Twitter at Intel Matters Pod and follow Michael at Michael J. Morell. Intelligence Matters is a production of CBS News Radio. The Hargan women seemed to have it all. We were blessed. My mom was amazing. But detectives would soon discover... Inside the house, there were the bodies of two women. A story of betrayal you would struggle to believe if it wasn't true. I am just praying to God, this is a sick 
too. From 48 Hours, this is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings, starting May 8th, wherever you get your podcasts.